hello America. This is Mark Dunnigan, and you have turned into the Daily Answer. You've tuned in. You haven't turned into it, which, okay, don't panic. Like, wait a minute, I'm the Daily Answer now. That might be kind of a disappointment. To, a disappointment. Like, I wanted to be the Daily Answer. I wanted to turn into the Daily Answer. I want to talk um, in this particular episode about... There's a parable in the book of Luke chapter 16 that I think a number of people kind of scratched their head concerning an individual that Jesus praises who is admittedly unjust, unethical. And so we find in Luke chapter 16 that there was a certain rich man who had a steward and a steward basically was the manager of the entire household. And uh, I mean, also... Uh, in this part of the country, you would at times have like an absentee landlord uh, and he had entrusted everything to the steward, like a piece of property, a farm, etc. And a tremendous amount of authority was given to stewards. And in this case, we learn that the steward was reported, verse one, of squandering his possessions. I mean, he's guilty. Steward does not even try to defend himself. And so he is uh, well, he has squandered a good portion of the master's money or estate through being irresponsible or extravagant living or just however it was, it ended up squandered. And the master tells him, you need to give an account of your stewardship. That is, I want to see the books. I want to see an exact statement of the actual condition of my property and finances and everything else that I entrusted to you. Uh, in other words, I want to see the true extent of the damage. And then in verse 3, it says, the steward said to himself, he he immediately considers his options. And, and basically, he rules out certain things that would be undesirable for him to do, you know, or impossible, impossible in his mind. Like, no, there's no way I'm doing that. And then in verse four, he comes up with a plan. I know what I'll do. And so what he does is that, um, you know, there were different individuals that uh, you might said had some outstanding debts with the master or, or with the estate. Like, you know, hey, and uh, individuals that um, the steward had done business with. And he, he summoned the master's debtors and began saying to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. And so that's what he does. And, you know, back in verse three, he had said, um, you know, I'm not strong enough to dig like manual labor. I'm ashamed to beg. And but in verse four, he says, I know what I'm gonna do. I got this plan so that when I'm removed from the management, from my position as stewardship, people will welcome me into their homes. I'm going to pad my nest. I'm gonna set up a scenario that a number of individuals out there are are indebted to me. And so when I'm kicked out, <laughs> when I'm kicked out of my position. These individuals that I did a favor to, a huge favor to, I 
I reduce their debt, like the first one by half. When I come along and say, hey, buddy, got a place I can stay for a while or, uh, you know, some meals. And the person's going to say, oh, yeah, good friend. Oh, yeah, I remember you. Man, you really helped me. And I think what has puzzled people over the years is not necessarily that of this man's plan. But in verse 8, the master praised the unrighteous steward because he had acted shrewdly. That Maybe that's what somewhat confuses people. Like, well, why would this man's unethical behavior be praised? Now, first of all, we're talking about an earthly master here, okay? And basically, everyone in this story is... <laughs> unethical on a certain level the the steward is clearly unethical the, the 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 debtors are unethical because they accept this arrangement of that you know we're going to short change the actual owner of the property for personal gain but the master's shrewd enough to appreciate the cleverness of his steward uh, everyone in the world everyone in this story is of the world all right um the steward was unethical, so were the debtors who accepted the plan, and the master who had admired it. Like, man, that's some, that's some pretty shrewd, clever thinking. Also, don't miss the point that Jesus calls the steward unrighteous. Jesus makes it clear that he is not condoning the unethical conduct of this individual. He calls him un, an unrighteous steward. So the purpose of this parable is not to justify a wasteful life, a life of dishonesty, uh, a, a life of backroom deals and under the table sort of scenarios. But we're going to get to the lesson. And the lesson is to be learned by contrasting the conduct of admittedly a very worldly and ethical man with the conduct of professed believers. So let's start making, let's start making, let's come to the application. In verse eight, I think we need to understand that the first part of that verse, his master praised the unrighteous steward because he had acted shrewdly, uh, that he was very clever in the way that he had planned for his future, okay? But then, but then it says, for the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. Right there, I don't see the master in the story saying that. I think at that point, we begin with Jesus's application from his story. You know, I can't see a worldly master in the parable making that kind of statement. I can see Jesus making that. The sons of this age, the sons of the world, the sons characterized by worldly behavior. And that's what the idea of son here would mean. Someone characterized by the world or worldliness. Someone characterized by the age in which they live. And, of course, the sons of light are believers. They're his people, disciples. So the sons of this age are men of the world. All right. And everyone in the story is a... Uh, a son of this age, people who are living for the things of this world. 
people whose entire focus is on this earthly life, people governed by the values of the world, people who are living for what this world has to offer them. Uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 19, who set their minds on worldly things, people who are laying up treasure on the earth, uh, people who love the world, 1 John 2, 15, and are caught up in the the lust of the age, the, the, the vainglory of life, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, people who have conformed to the world, Romans chapter 12. All right. The sons of this age, and it says with their own kind, that is in dealing with men with similar values, in dealing with other worldly people. And the sons of light are believers or Christians. You could look at that in the book of Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 8. So, now one writer noted, the people of this world whose hopes are centered on this life and material goods often have more energy and foresight in the exercise of their material concerns than Christians do. That I think part of the point here, and we get down to this um, statement in um, verse 8, is that one of the points being made is that, I think, and Jesus is making it, is, you know, sadly, sometimes worldly people work harder for an earthly reward, and they work harder to prepare for this earthly life than Christians do to gain heaven. That non-Christians often work a lot harder to gain earth or whatever the earth can provide than Christians do for a spiritual reward. I mean, look at how much effort and look at how much thinking outside of the box that the steward, I mean, the steward used every effort, every tool in the box, everything he had, every lever he could pull to provide for his future welfare. You know, like, look at the way worldly men pursue their ambitions and how eager they are for uncertain riches. Why aren't you more enthusiastic for the true values? You know, if a little bit of sadness here, if only the Christian was as eager and as, uh, I don't know, as, as willing to give all and sacrifice all to attain eternal life as people of the world do to gain earth. And, I, I, you know, look at how much it, do worldly people put us to shame. And I guess that would be a, a, a good application here. How much effort is, if you're a Christian, okay, compare yourself to your neighbor. Um, how much effort does your neighbor put into their hobby? How much they invest in it? How much time do they spend on their hobby versus how much time do you spend on what you claim to love the most, like your relationship with God? Um, how much time do worldly people, effort, time, money, expense, do worldly people put into their sports activities and sporting events compared to the way Christians approach worship? Man, in a sporting event, front row seat, right? 50-yard line. Among God's people, sometimes it's sitting on the back pew. 
and and just that comparison there of um i mean your neighbor your neighbor that gets up at like five in the morning and goes in and works all day like a dog okay for an earthly reward how does that compare to the effort that you're putting in for your spiritual for your spiritual life i mean what are worldly people willing to outlay for what they claim to love versus what sort of money are we willing to outlay? What sort of effort and lengths are we willing to go into for the kingdom of God? So you're working as hard for the church and eternal life as your neighbor's working for some material short-term reward. Are we as convicted about the truthfulness of the gospel message and the reality of heaven as your neighbor is about the merits of some physical goal? Do we enjoy serving God as much as your neighbor enjoys their favorite hobby? I mean, are you all in? You probably have neighbors that are all in on sports teams. They are all in on a hobby. I mean, they're just, their favorite thing, they are all in. And they talk about it all the time and they decorate their house with that. And they are just all in. How does that compare to you and your relationship with God um, and your eagerness and the effort that you put into that? Yeah, I think Jesus is saying, sadly, sometimes worldly people are willing to expend a lot more effort and are really a lot more shrewd to gain an earthly reward compared to Christians who have an actual, real, genuine reward i mean that unrighteous steward he was planning for his future well you have a future you have an eternal future are you planning for that i mean that that's something that really needs to be taken seriously so he will say in verse nine and i guess it might be here we have the wise use of limited material resources Make friends for yourselves by the means of the mammon of unrighteousness. And wealth is called that because wealth is often used for unrighteous purposes, but it's not evil in and of itself. Sadly, though, it's often used for wicked ends. And, you know, the unrighteous steward used physical possessions to feather his nest. And we need to use our wealth wisely for good purposes. First Timothy 6, 17 through 19 would be a good verse on that. Not to trust our riches, but rather to use them for good works. And then it says when it fails, and it always does, and especially when we die, like the steward, one day we will find ourselves discharged. And for the Christian, it means we'll be discharged from this body. Have we made preparations for, okay, my next home? <laughs> okay, well, where am I going to live, right? Okay, all I got two choices there. And then I love verse 10. He was faithful in a very little thing. And in the context, at least, the very little thing is the way that you would use your material possessions. And I think it's called little in comparison to spiritual riches and spiritual realities. Money management does say something about your character. Everything that we own belongs to God. And like a steward, we're basically like a steward. We're 
just taking care of our blessings for a limited amount of time. And how we use our physical blessings and how we use our money does reveal a lot about our character. Are we willing to use them in the furtherance of the kingdom? Are we careless with them? Are we careful with them? Are we willing to sacrifice for higher goals? Uh, what we do with our wealth basically reveals where our heart is and what is our major priority. It, the parable is very convicting because it says that if we're not willing to give generously to God, what already belongs to him, then, then we're, prob we're probably not prepared to give much of anything to him. If God cannot trust us with the use of something as simple as money, then neither can God trust us with his word. The person who is careless with their wealth will also be careless with more important blessings. So, faithful in a little, faithful in much. Be careful about deceiving yourselves into thinking that, well, if, if a big opportunity to serve God came along, or if a big test came along like either die, either renounce Jesus or die, I'd pass that test. You see, that's not it. That's not it. Jesus says that's not really what it's all about. It's more about what are you doing with the small blessings I've given you today? That says really more about you than anything else. Because if you're not wise with the small things that you have right now, you will not pass the big test. Don't fool yourself. If you're not faithful in your small decisions, you're not going to be faithful in the big ones. This is Mark Dunnigan for The Daily Answer. See you in the funny papers.